Chapter 13 of The War on Waste Paradox, read by Len Bertain. The next morning, everyone was excited. Mr. Grimes was there about 15 minutes early. He wanted to find out where we were going next. He was going to push for these changes, and no one was going to get in his way. Someone quoted him as saying, I see light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm sure that it's not a train. It really is light at the other end. Phil and the class talked through the setup concept for about 30 minutes, and everyone was convinced that we should make the commitment to this changeover. Before long, Phil asked, Has anyone thought of the size of the waste that's involved here? Mr. Grimes immediately said, I have, and you know what? Our setup accounts for over 35% of our net production hours. Jim and I have been going over the numbers for the last three months. Our setup is over 35% of our direct labor charge. If it, we can reduce it to 10% of our net production hours, we can generate 25% more work from the factory with no additional expenses other than materials. If we do this, we're going to be healthy very soon. And you know what else? We can respond to orders more quickly because we won't have the long setups and we'll have a reduced inventory. Phil continued, You're right on that issue, Mr. Grimes. If you're currently making pumps and batches of 1,000 units because that's the way your manufacturing is designed, then the advantage of the reduced setup is that the batches of production can be smaller. There is a trade-off that has to take place here, though. Does anyone know what it is? Andrew immediately jumped in. Yes, sir, I think I know what it is. It's this. If you do more setups, you may not get any more production out of the plant. There is an optimum number of setups to do each week to get the most out of the operation, given the setup time and the order rate for various products. Very good, Andrew, Phil noted. This is the tricky part, and you've got plenty of time to worry about it. The final decision will depend on the strategy of the marketing department in deciding what products will bring in the most revenue. We need to understand that before long. We call this 567 analysis because we want you to look at the top 5% of the products that generate 60% of the revenue or the top 5% of the customers and the 67% of the revenue that they generate. It's a variation of the 2080 rule with better leverage. The 2080 rule tells us that 20% of the products are generating 80% of the revenue. When we look at the top 5%, we will know where to spend our time in the factory and know how to design the operation to get maximum results. We'll talk about this more later. Let's talk about inventory. How big is your inventory, Mr. Grimes? Let's talk about raw materials, work and process and finished inventory. If you want to eliminate waste in inventory, we have to start right here. How does your inventory break out? Mr. Grimes thought a second. Then he said, as of last Friday, we had $2.1 million of raw materials, casting, steel, miscellaneous parts. $1.7 million of work in process. $1.7 million of finished inventory for a total of about $5.5 million. Then Phil asked, does anyone other than Mr. Grimes know why this inventory is costing him money? Andrew jumped in. He pays taxes to the state on the physical inventory, and the Fed gets in there too. 
More than anything, inventory ties up his money. If he has inventory, he doesn't have money for machines or any other uses for the business. Very good, Andrew. So we have a waste of stock and inventory, which is directly attributable to your inefficient operation. How does reduced setup time help this issue? Roland had been quiet for the last several days. Today he said, first of all, reduced setup means that you can run jobs in smaller lots. If you have smaller lots, you'll reduce work and process. If we can get products out the door in a more timely fashion with shorter setups, we won't have as big an inventory of finished goods. That's really, really the killer because we can never forecast the products accurately. That damn MRP system is terrible, and it certainly doesn't predict the buying habits of our customers. The quick setup will make us more responsive to the market, and our finished inventory will drop. And I think if we play our cards right, we can reduce the amount of raw materials that we'll need, because we'll only need those materials to meet our short-term requirement. I think that covers it. Everyone was listening to Roland, and he was very good, very persuasive. He had the gift of gab, of course, if that made a good salesman. He, and he was a good salesman. And he was very positive about what he was going on in class. I figured that he was finally getting on board. Phil continued, The good thing about setup reduction is if we take an 8-hour setup down to 15 minutes, then you can make 100 pieces and still be profitable. You don't have to make 500 units to fill a 200-unit order. And if you don't have 300 excess, you have nothing to store or count or pay taxes on. By the way, does anyone know the optimum batch size? I couldn't believe this guy was making sense. He didn't have the credentials of Dr. Elby, let's say, yet he knew this business. I knew the answer, so I raised my hand. Phil called on me, and I said, one. Exactly, Phil said. We strive to make setup zero, or as close to it as possible. That way, you can make one unit at a time. You could be totally responsive to the market, and boy would Roland love that. He glanced in Roland's direction, and everyone turned. Roland nodded an emphatic yes. If you could do that, you wouldn't need big warehouses to store finished goods or whip. If an hour after a customer called, his product could be in the delivery truck, you wouldn't need to carry any inventory at all. You could just build it for him right then and there. Not only would you not need finished goods warehouse, you wouldn't need to keep six months' worth of raw materials. And those people who are not adding value to the company by moving and counting that inventory could be given jobs that do add value. Keep a month's worth of raw materials, and as the orders come in and the raw materials are used, order some more. Phil continued, I'll probably be here teaching the class for a couple more days, and after that I'll be on the floor for about three weeks assisting you in setup changes. If you have any questions or ideas, feel free to talk to me, and I'll help you in any way I can. Our company has a lending library. We have many books on setup, plant management, and other stuff. We'll be happy to lend you any of the materials you might need. Just see me after class. Now, if you would break up into your teams, I'd like you to look at whatever current projects you're working on using this example as a guide. He held up my setup data. Now see if you can apply those principles to your particular problem. We broke up along our team lines. 
Soon we realized that the people from the office had nothing to do. We asked them to divvy up themselves among the rest of the production teams. Our team drew Roland. He was fascinated by the idea of setup reduction because if we could reduce setup time, he could deliver product to the customer much earlier. It would give us a real jump on the competition. He said, If we could use this to shorten the time between taking and filling an order, we'll sell many, many more products. We often lose orders because other companies with comparable products can deliver them sooner than we can. We decided to meet again after work. I told everyone I had to be on the road by 5 o'clock, so we agreed to watch the time. After work that afternoon, we were really surprised. Roland joined us for our afternoon bull session, and he brought Bonnie in with him. Bonnie had really warmed up to the shop people since the training started. She didn't seem to be afraid of us like she was before. We met in a classroom. Dr. LB and Phil were still there looking over some paperwork. As Dr. Elby prepared to leave, Phil asked if he could sit in our brainstorming session, saying, I'll be here strictly as an observer. You'll make all the decisions. If you need any additional information, I'll try to provide it. We were just getting started when the women from the assembly plant came into the classroom. Patty, the team leader, said, Oh, we didn't realize the room was being used. We can have our meeting in the lunchroom. And by the way, we have the best idea in spite of what you think. Just thought I would let you know. Ladies rule, she said. We all laughed and told her that she was badly mistaken. At the same time, we told her that there was plenty of room and they could share the room with us. She asked what we were working on and we told her. She said it was pretty interesting. Then she went over and joined her own group. That afternoon, we mostly talked about the idea of moving the excess machine over into our cell. We thought it was a good idea, we kept, but we kept coming up with reasons to shoot it down. I said, it seems to me that the programming wouldn't be so difficult, but I think we're going to have a war getting Bernard to investigate the idea. I just can't see how we're going to get him to agree to put $300,000 machine in his cell where it will sit idle part of the time. Roland said, They'll agree if we can prove to Mr. Grimes that it makes economic sense. Like I said, the competition is killing us. Other companies have to be developing systems for air conditioning just like ours. It doesn't matter if we have the best product if we can't deliver it in a timely manner. Our potential customers will buy from someone else. Roland agreed to work with us on the sales figures to help us justify moving the machine. Phil said he had some books that might help us and that he would bring them the next day. We broke up a few minutes before five and I headed out. On the drive home, I kept coming back to the setup question. What if we divided the plant into specific product lines and put the assembly right next to the production machines? Would that work? There would be a significant reduction in waste in having to carry the casings all over the plant. We could carry the product from raw material to a finished and tested area in one area. It would save serious time. It made a lot of sense to me. Then I started to chuckle because I was starting to sound like Phil. As I pulled into the driveway, Buddy was shooting baskets at the hoop. He was beginning to show a good eye for the basket. He loved all sports and loved to fish with me. There was a movie coming to town about fishing in Montana, and I was going to take Buddy over the weekend. I saw it in a magazine and got a copy of the book 
at a local bookstore. I read it as soon as I got it home. Sandy noticed that I was reading more and watching less television since joining Quality Pump. She really liked that and was beginning to feel comfortable with the changes taking place both at home and at work. These are the Chapter 13 Insights. Are we having fun yet? We talked in this chapter about 567 analysis. In the real world of war on waste, 567 analysis is what we call a forcing function. In the hands of an engineer, it serves as the forcing function to define the 5% of the features that give the user 67% of the benefit. It forces rapid prototyping. Today, the goal of the engineering in a technology company is time to market. By designing to that goal, 567 analysis drives the engineering organization to think through the features to give maximum benefit to the expected users. We use the 567 analysis as a way to do management training, strategy development, human resources optimization, etc. It permeates all of our thinking about how to run a company. In short, it is the most powerful tool that we have at our disposal. My friend George Sybil is writing a book about that, and he has asked me to look over his shoulder. As you read this chapter, you get a feeling that quality pumps is going to be okay. Mr. Grimes is relaxing a bit, and the employees are starting to see light at the end of the tunnel also, and it isn't a bear carrying a lantern. However, the job isn't done yet. Mr. Grimes will have to see all these ideas through to completion and there will be some pain felt before that is accomplished. We also get a new take on tribal knowledge when Phil, a non-college-educated consultant, joins Dr. Elby. There is a prejudice against this in most companies. It is a rare employee or person who can arise above that in our corporate world. Only the super-educated rise to the top. How can such an individual contribute to tribal knowledge, they say? That's the end of chapter 13. Look forward to seeing you in chapter 14. Thank you very much.